The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with stocks coming off their worst day of the month with tech on trap to snap its longest weekly win streak since 2019. Futures off their lows, but they are lower again this morning. Also, Fed Chairman Jay Powell not doing a thing to reassure investors getting set for a second day of testimony on Capitol Hill after telling lawmakers the FOMC still has a long way to go. And we are sticking with D.C. CEOs from Apple's Tim Cook to Microsoft's Satya Nadella lining up for FaceTime with the Prime Minister of India as he pushes his corporate agenda with U.S.-China tensions simmering. Plus, it is not just the Fed. Investors gearing up for a key rate decision in just about two hours from right now, straight from London. And then later on in the show, a big insider share sale at one of the hottest stocks of 2023. It's Thursday, June 22nd, 2023. And you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's kick off the hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. And you're going to see right here, they are red across the board. All three indices fractionally lower right now. We're going to continue to watch this. If the markets were to open up right now, the Dow Jones would open up about 40 points lower, but off the lows from just a, a short time ago. All right, stocks coming off yet another losing day, down three sessions in a row. Tech getting hit the hardest with the Nasdaq seeing a more than 1% move to the downside. It's now just two days away from snapping an eight-week winning streak it's longest since 2019. We're also looking at the bond market this morning. As always, we begin with the benchmark 10-year at 3.75, basically the same level it's been for about the last week or two. Still an elevated yield on the two-year. We've been talking about it. That yield elevated uh, even after the uh, debt ceiling deal and other moves that a lot of people thought would lower yields when it comes to the short end of the curve. We're also looking at energy, specifically oil. We begin with the U.S. benchmark. We're talking about WTI crude. It's back above 70 bucks a barrel, but down about a half a percent right now. And it's $72 and a little bit of change. Brent crude, that's the international benchmark, also down more than half a percent. Right now, basically at 76.60. Natural gas making a move to the upside, up almost 1%. And in crypto, we're also seeing some movement here. We're talking about Bitcoin popping back above the 30,000 mark, just barely above it, down very fractionally, basically flat this morning. But you can see a ramp up here when it comes to Bitcoin, maybe falling off the J-PAL press conference. Not really sure when it comes to the cryptocurrency market, but we are seeing a big upswing, as you can see. All right, crypto stocks also riding that wave higher in a very big way. We're going to take a look at some shares of Riot, Marathon Digital MicroStrategy over the last week. You can see they're moving pretty closely correlated with Bitcoin upside here. Also, possibly off that J-PAL testimony. We don't know what else it is, but again, something to watch. Marathon up 19% week to date uh, over the last week. Excuse me, Marathon up almost 30% and then uh, Riot up over 16%. All right, turning to this morning's top story and getting set for J-PAL back on Capitol Hill today. Silvana Hanau is here with more details on that. Silvana, good morning. 
Hey, Frank, good morning. Yeah, so Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell affirming yesterday that more interest rate increases are likely ahead until additional progress is made on bringing down inflation. Now, speaking a week after the central bank decided for the first time in a year not to push rates higher, Powell added that nearly all of the FOMC participants expect further interest rate increases into the end of this year. 16 of the 18 participants on the FOMC wrote down that they, they do believe it'll be appropriate to raise rates, and, and a big yes. majority believes raise rates twice this year. And, I, you know, I think that's, that's a pretty good guess of what will happen if the economy performs about as expected. And, Frank, Chairman Powell adding that the Fed is still far from its goal of taming high inflation. You know, we'll be talking about that much more throughout the show. Silvana, we'll see you in just a bit. See you later, Frank. All right, turning attention overseas and seeing some red arrows across the board in Europe. This morning, Powell, not the only game in town. Investors are waiting for the latest rate decision from the Bank of England. It is not expected to follow the Fed that decided on its first pause in nearly 15 months. Our Juliana Tattlebaum joins me now from London with more. Juliana, good morning. Good morning, Frank. It certainly is not poised to follow the Fed, not after yesterday's red-hot inflation report. A rate hike is all but baked in for today's Bank of England decision, with Governor Andrew Bailey under pressure from all sides after that CPI inflation print surprise to the upside. And most importantly, most concerningly, core inflation rose to its highest level in more than three decades. Traders, as a result, upped bets on the possibility of a 50 basis point hike today, not 25, 50, with a 6% base rate almost a certainty by the end of the year, according to money markets. That's up from today's 4.5%. Meanwhile, UK government debt hit more than 100% of GDP for the first time since 1961, before the Beatles were first released their first single, with short-term borrowing costs stuck at 15-year highs. Here's the picture for guilt, years, guilt yields. This is the UK bond markets. They are higher across the board in the lead-up to this decision. So, Juliana, it's not just the Bank of England. There's a few other hawkish central bank moves around the world today. What are you seeing? They certainly are. Inflation is a problem all over the Western world. And just about an hour ago, the Swiss National Bank raised its benchmark interest rate by 25 basis points to 1.75%, so well below the rates we're seeing in other parts of the world, but still higher nevertheless. The central bank said it could not rule out additional hikes in its key policy rate in the future. We are seeing right now steady trade in the dollar versus the safe haven Swiss franc. And it wasn't just the SNB. Norway's central bank has hiked rates today by a bigger than expected 50 basis points to a 15-year high. The Norges Bank also laid the foundations for more to come, saying that inflation is still markedly above target. And here you are seeing the Norwegian krona trade higher versus the dollar on the back of that decision. Frank? All right, Juliana, excuse me, Juliana, thank you very much. Our Juliana Tattlebaum, live from London. All right, turning now to Washington and CEOs from Tim Cook to Satya Nadella lining up for some FaceTime with the Prime Minister of India. He is pushing an India-first agenda to corporate America as U.S.-China tensions continue. CNBC TV 18 Bureau Chief Parikshit Luthra joins us now from Delhi. Parikshit, good morning. Good morning, uh, Frank. Well, it's a very important visit of the Prime Minister to the United States, his, uh, his first state visit, and only the third that President Biden is hosting at uh, the White House. But uh, if we speak about the deliverables, defense and semiconductors are likely to be some of the biggest deliverables during this visit. On defense, we're expecting a, a big deal between General Electric and HAL, which is going to be signed, and this will be for 
co-production of jet engines in India. We are hearing from our sources in the government that this could entail 80% transfer of technology by value from General Electric to HAL. For the last few months, a lot of regulatory hurdles have been discussed between the governments and uh, there is a move to remove those regulatory hurdles through executive actions at the Biden administration level and also through legislative interventions as well. We believe that India could be paying a little less than $1 billion as a one-time payment for this technology transfer, which will happen over a three-year period. Also expect announcements on semiconductors, where U.S. is likely to make uh, investments in skilling, in training and research when it comes to India as well. We're hearing of a deal by Micron, and this has already been cleared by the uh, union government in India. That is a $2.7 billion investment for a testing and packaging facility in the prime minister's home state. So the prime minister has been meeting a number of CEOs, starting from Elon Musk. He's met uh, uh, Sanjay Mehrotra of Micron. He's also met the CEOs of Applied Materials, General Electric. Tomorrow he'll be meeting Sundar Pichai, CEOs of uh, Amazon as well. One common thing that U.S. CEOs have been asking for, and especially Elon Musk, is lower tariffs. Elon Musk was very keen to come to India, set up a manufacturing facility here till about one and a half years ago. But he did not decide to do so because of high tariffs in India as well. Data protection laws in India, transparency as far as long-term policy roadmap is something that the U.S. governments have been, U.S. companies have been asking for and they will push for during this visit as well. All right, CNBC TV 18's Parikshit Luthra, thank you very much for that report. All right, we got a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, much more on today's Modi CEO Summit with one company that's already doing big business in India. We speak exclusively with the CEO of Avaya. Plus, an activist alert as Elliot looks for a management shakeup at one major utility player, and then later, getting its day in court. As Microsoft makes a case against the FTC and its deal for Activision, we have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. You might not think that a few simple words can make you crave McDonald's breakfast sandwiches. But if you listen closely to the sound of me saying McGriddles, McMuffin, you might be wrong. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The markets may be flashing some overbought signals recently, but do not tell that to the average retail investor. Data compiled by J.P. Morgan shows they still believe the rally will roll on from here. Retail investors bought a record $1.5 billion of single stocks in just the past week, just to prove it. And if you include ETFs, orders top $4.4 billion. J.P. Morgan says most of the inflows went into just three stocks. We're talking Tesla, Apple, and NVIDIA which have accounted for more than 40% of the S&P 500's gains this, so far this year. Let's talk more about this now with Robert Teeter, head of the Investment Policy and Strategy Group at Silvercrest Asset Management. Robert, good to see you. 
Morning, Frank. Great to see you again. All right. So retail traders, they may be buying, but the street seems to be selling. We're seeing the markets on a three-day losing streak, the S&P having its worst day of June. What do you think is causing this big shift in momentum? Is it just Jay Powell or is there something else going on? I think some of it is we've come a long way in a short period of time, but I think a bigger portion of it is what you alluded to, which is the commentary from the Fed. So we've had two messages from the Fed, really. We've had a pause, which is which is great. That's dovish. That's helpful. That's supportive of risk assets. But on the other hand, we've had very hawkish commentary and we've had the, the dot plot come out and show that uh, future rate hikes are being priced into the market once again. And so I think uh, investors are struggling with the duality of that message. You know, we're sort of at a pause, but expecting worse to come on the, on the rate hike cycle. And I think that's the short term challenge that we're working through here. Yeah. So if you look at the CME data just earlier today, it was about a 70 percent chance of a hike at the next meeting. Where do you stand? Do you believe that some of the uh, things that Jay Powell was saying, uh, basically saying they're not data driven anymore and really pointing towards another hike, saying it's a live meeting? Do you think that's just talk or do you believe he's going to follow through? Well, I think some of that is they're trying to hit two objectives here. One is to reflect current conditions, which they've done with the pause. And the other is to maintain some of the great credibility that they've built up with these rapid hikes in the past year or so. And so I think the guidance is really directed more at keeping those hikes potentially on the table. Um, I lean more in the direction of lower probability of that hike. I think if we look at the conditions that have been causing inflation, whether it's money supply growth, which is all but dried up, uh, supply chains, which have primarily healed. You look at inflation itself, it's come down pretty directly. Um, so things are sort of heading in the right direction. And I expect them to lean a bit more on the current conditions side and perhaps stick with the pause, okay. all data dependent, of course, in the next month. All right. So you're, you're a little bit of a contrarian. It kind of sounds like you're saying fight the Fed to a certain degree. I want to talk to you about something that we launched yesterday, the Magnificent 7 Index. We've been showing it all day here on CNBC. It fell more than 1.5% yesterday. That's the seven stocks that really pushed the market higher so far this year. So what do you make of this pullback? Is this a buying opportunity, or is this possibly a sign that with another hike, investors are getting a little bit wary about valuations here? I think in the short term, we could be struggling for the next couple of weeks with some concern over valuation uh, and with that adaptation to a potential hike being on the table. But I think if you look out uh, past the next Fed meeting into the second half of the year, I think conditions are clearly improving. Inflation's been getting better. We'd expect to see that follow through to interest rates and to inflation, or excuse me, to valuation. And you've seen earnings uh, expectations tick up just a little bit after the past quarter. And I think some of the changes that companies are making in response to the economic conditions are pretty favorable. So I look for the back half of the year to be a little bit better and perhaps some struggle here in the short term. Yeah, by the way, I want to clarify for the audience that Magnificent 7, that includes NVIDIA, Microsoft, those names we were talking about that have really led to the S&P's rise so far this year. All right. Before we let you go, what do you make of the trading day ahead? Obviously, again, we're on a three day slide. S&P coming off its worst day of the year. What kind of action are you expecting when, uh, after the opening bell today? Well, I think, unfortunately, it could be more of the same. You know, we're waiting on some of the, the comments out of the Fed, as we often are. And I think most of those have been pointing in the hawkish direction, which tends to be a bit of a challenge for markets. So I, I think all part of that short term struggle message as we work our way through uh, some of this more hawkish commentary in the short term. All right. Certainly something to watch. Bit of a contrarian. Robert Teeter, always great to see you. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, potential trouble ahead for Boeing as a key supplier is forced to halt operations amid a new worker strike. The full story when Worldwide Exchange returns. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. 
All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Microsoft getting its day in court today, arguing the merits of its $69 billion deal for Activision Blizzard against federal regulators. Our Steve Kovac joins us now live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square with much more on this story. Steve. Hey there, Frank. Yeah, good morning. Microsoft and FTC are going to meet in court today for the beginning of a five-day hearing that will likely determine the fate of Microsoft's $69 billion deal to buy Activision here in the United States. Now, the FTC is seeking a preliminary injunction in federal court in San Francisco, alleging Microsoft intends to close its deal with Activision before the July 18th deadline, no matter what regulators say. Now, the FTC already won a temporary restraining order last week, blocking Microsoft from buying Activision until the judge makes his ruling. Microsoft says it welcomes a chance to argue the case in federal court, and the belief from that side is it has a better chance at convincing a federal judge its acquisition is legal than the administrative law judge it would have to face later in the summer. Now, if Microsoft prevails, the FTC will likely drop its lawsuit seeking to block the transaction. That's a win here in the United States for Microsoft. Expecting to hear from major players involved in the deal over the next several days, witnesses include Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella, Xbox boss Phil Spencer, and Activision CEO Bobby Kotick. They're all on the witness list. FTC argues buying Activision would give Microsoft an unfair advantage in the video game console market, but Microsoft says that's impossible as it's behind Sony and Nintendo in market share. FTC also claiming Microsoft will make games from Activision, especially Call of Duty, exclusive to its platforms. Now, Microsoft, of course, denies that and has cut deals with other gaming companies like Nintendo to prove it. But even if Microsoft wins this one, it's not over. It's still working through the appeals process in the United Kingdom, whose regulator denied the Activision deal this spring. That's going to take the better part of the summer to play out, Frank. So, Steve, you mentioned that uh, they're having the same battle with U.K. regulators. How does what we see here in the United States, does that have any impact on what goes on in the U.K.? Not necessarily. In fact, it might actually be the other way around. The U.K. uh, dropped its argument saying there would be this console dominance uh, if Microsoft was allowed to do it. They're actually focusing on cloud gaming instead. Uh, this this idea that the Netflix of gaming, where you can stream any game that Xbox offers a product for that. And look, in the United States, they're going after everything, not just the cloud gaming stuff, but also the console market. And Microsoft really believes it can win this case in front of a federal judge, Frank. All right. Certainly a lot to watch there. Our Steve Kovac live at the Nasdaq. Steve, thank you. Thanks. All right. Let's get a check on this morning's headlines. NBC's Frances Rivera. She's in New York with the very latest. Frances, good morning. Hi, Frank. Good morning. We start with the critical point that we've reached in the search for that submersible missing near the wreckage of the Titanic. Based on the amount of emergency reserve air on board, experts believe oxygen could run out in less than two hours. Planes, ships, drones are canvassing an area twice the size of Connecticut. The Explorers Club says they have sent a remotely operated vehicle to the search area. It could potentially lift the sub to the surface if, though, they can find it. In Texas, three people are confirmed dead after a tornado tore through the small town of Matador. The full scope of the damage is not yet clear, but an official tells NBC News that at least 20 structures and businesses have been destroyed. 
Following a botched attempt last week, the Republican-led House passed a resolution censuring California Democrat Adam Schiff. The bill's author sought to condemn Schiff for his role in the investigation into the 2016 Trump campaign's alleged ties to Russia. The motion requires the House Ethics Committee to launch an investigation into Schiff. All right, for a Thursday morning, Frank, you are up to date with your news headlines. All right, Francis, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, getting ready for the Modi CEO Summit with one company already doing big business in India. We speak exclusively with the CEO of Avaya next. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange after this quick break. Stay with us. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Fair Chairman Jay Powell heading back to the Hill, set to kick off day two of congressional testimony. After teeing up more rate hikes ahead, warning there's a long way to go in the inflation fight. Investors keeping a close watch of Powell's comments and a trio of central bank decisions today as stocks try to bounce back after three straight days of losses. And... Corporate leaders set to meet Indian Prime Minister Modi as he works to sell them on doing business in his home country. We're talking with the CEO of Avaya on the perks and the pitfalls of operating in India. It is Thursday, June the 22nd, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thanks for starting your day with us. Let's pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. After a third straight day of losses, as you can see right now, futures continue to be in the red The Dow actually falling from where it was just about a half an hour ago. All three indices down fractionally at this hour. And all three indices are lower for the week, with the Nasdaq set to snap its eight-week win streak. That's its longest run since 2019. Now, all this ahead of a Bank of England rate decision at 7.15 a.m. Eastern time today. Investors also digesting a string of interest rate hikes this morning with Norway, Switzerland, and the Philippines all raising their key rate by 25 basis points. So we're looking at the U.S. bond market right now. Of course, we always start with the benchmark 10-year, pretty much stable where it's been for about the last week and a half or two weeks. Elevated yield in the two-year, we've been talking about that. We also want to look at energy, specifically oil. Let's take a look at WTI right now. WTI now falling a bit, down more than a percent. Brent crude also down more than a percent. Natural gas up almost 1%. All right, time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is back with those. Silvana. Hey, Frank. Well, Elliott Management is reportedly seeking to oust the CEO of NRG Energy. The Wall Street Journal says the activist investor is in talks with potential candidates to replace Mauricio Gutierrez and other top executives. Elliott sent a letter to NRG's board last month pushing the company to review its home services strategy and add new independent directors. The hedge fund has disclosed a more than 13% economic interest in NRG. And a company spokesperson tells Reuters the board fully supports Gutierrez and the management team. Shares are slightly higher in the pre-market. Rivian says it bought a Swedish mapping company to help owners of its electric vehicles plan their routes, and find available charging stations. Eternio has developed an app called A Better Route Planner, which Riven claims has a strong community of EV drivers in North America and Europe. Terms of the deal haven't been disclosed. Earlier this week, Rivian struck a deal to let owners use Tesla's supercharger network. And KB Home's second quarter results beating forecast, helped by strong demand amid a tight supply of homes. 
The company says improvement it started to see in February carried throughout the quarter. KB Home expects full-year revenue of $5.8 to $6.2 billion above analysts' estimates. And shares initially rose in extended trading but have lost momentum since then, Frank. All right, Savannah, thank you very much. All right, turning now to Washington. As Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell prepares for his second day of testimony, the semi-annual testimony to Congress, this time to the Senate Banking Committee. Powell yesterday reaffirming to the House Financial Services Committee that more interest rate increases are likely ahead, with inflation, quote, well above where it should be. Powell adding that the labor market is still tight and that the Fed continues to observe its dual mandate of maximum employment and price stability. Today's situation is unusual in that we are overachieving, in effect, the maximum employment goal, but we are far from achieving the the, uh, inflation goal. When that's the case, you look at how far you are from the goal and you look at the speed with which you would move back to the goal. And so that would tell you today that we we should focus heavily on inflation. But as as it becomes closer, as as, as the two things become more aligned, then, then they go back into perfect equality under the law. For more on this, let's bring in Nick Timoros, chief economics correspondent at The Wall Street Journal and the author of Trillion Dollar Triage. Nick, good morning. Morning. Thanks for having me. All right. So I think a lot of people on Wall Street, they were listening to this testimony very closely. It seemed to me, and I want to get your opinion, that Jay Powell kind of moved away from the idea that this, this decision coming up in July is data dependent. It seemed like a notable shift. What does that signal to you? Yeah, that's right. It signals to me that even though he said last week, He shouldn't have called it a skip. That's how they're thinking of this. They skipped a June interest rate increase. Uh, It would have taken them a lot to raise rates in June. And by the same token, or by the other side of the token, it would take them a lot now not to raise rates in July. You did not hear this idea of, well, we're going to look at the the data over the next few weeks to tell us whether to raise rates uh, at the July meeting or not. And so I think this is a skip. And he talked about slowing down the pace of increases. So they went to a quarterly pace at the beginning of the year, uh, or sorry, rather a quarterly increase at every meeting. uh, And now they're going to a quarter point at every other meeting. So now they're at that quarterly pace that they had in the previous cycle in 2017 and 18. All right. So there's a lot of interesting points here. You obviously wrote about this uh, testimony, also tweeted quite a bit. One of the things I want to focus on is the analogy of a driver pulling off the highway and then getting, I guess, on the local roads in this analogy, but still trying to reach its destination. How should investors view that? Well, I think the the takeaway here is the Fed doesn't want to overshoot. And that wasn't, you know, the way that they were operating things last year. When you're raising rates by 75 basis points at every meeting, you're screaming down the highway saying, well, if we miss our if we miss our off ramp, so be it. Now they, you know, now they've taken a different uh, series of tactics here because they do have the nominal funds rate above five percent, and they are more concerned about doing more than they have to do. And you see that debate playing out right now. Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic yesterday published an essay saying he wants to pause. He said we've done a lot of hard work, and now let's wait and see, you know, what that all adds up to. So uh, you do have differences of opinion, even though you've had unanimity on the rate committee, uh, on the rate setting committee, and the policy decisions have all been unanimous. Does that analogy, does that run contrary to the dot plot that signaled two more hikes? Does that mean that possibly there might be one hike on that quote-unquote local road and you just stop there? 
No, I think it means they've gone to, instead of doing, you know, you could think of it as they were doing 25 basis points at every meeting earlier this year. Now they're effectively doing 12 and a half basis points at every meeting. They're just spreading it out by going at every other meeting. And so they're going at, you know, you could call it 12 and a half miles per hour instead of 25 miles per hour. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, if if five, six ends up being where they actually stop, uh, if they do these two more increases, or if something, I think where data dependence comes in here is if something happens in the data that tells them your terminal rate estimate is too high or too low, you know, the data is really going to influence the terminal rate here and not so much the speed or the, uh, you know, what you do at, at the very next meeting. I also want to talk to you about uh, the testimony related to banking and especially banking capital. So this one quote from your story, I heard Jay Powell say it live, but it sounds even more interesting just in, in, in text. He says, I'm committed to learning the right lessons from this exercise um, in response to questions about the Fed's supervisory role over banks. What do you think that says about banking regulation going forward when it comes to the Fed? Well, it means that the status quo isn't going to continue for the Fed. Obviously, Michael Barr is putting together a package of uh, regulatory proposals, and it seems likely the supervisory culture is going to shift at the Fed. You know, Powell was trying to sort of stay in the middle and not take a side on whether they had, you know, how much they had screwed up versus, uh, you know, how much needed to change. So that was why he said, you know, he's going to learn the right lessons here and, and sort of leave it at that. Uh, I thought it was interesting that the debate really focused yesterday on bank capital and not so much on, well, what's actually the challenge right now in the banking system? Are there going to be more failures? Are there going to be more mergers needed? You know, bank merger policy is something that the Fed has a role in. And nobody asked Powell about it yesterday. So I'll be interested to see if senators today actually talk about bank merger policy, because it's not clear really uh, where the administration is and how much on the same page they are, but encouraging mergers of troubled banks or allowing them to fail and having the FDIC come in and clean up first. So you're leading me to my next question. What are you expecting today? Are we going to see more of the same? Or does Jay Powell kind of respond to the coverage of people like you to his testimony and maybe try to shift the message at all? Well, I'm not sure why they would need to shift the message today. The, the message you know, was pretty clear yesterday. And frankly, monetary policy did not come up very much yesterday. So I guess today I'll be interested to see if there's more of a discussion of monetary policy and the macro economy. And then again, some of these other points separate from bank capital around what, you know, what's happening for the regional banks right now. What are they seeing? Uh, where where could the problems be? What's the impact of higher bank funding costs as some of these banks have lost deposits? I think those will all be uh, issues today. But this isn't like the last series of hearings in March where the Fed did come up the second day and Powell cleaned up the message a little bit. I'm not sure really what, you know, what would have been uh, left uh, unclear yesterday. It sounded quite clear to me. All right, Nick Tamaros, we'll leave the conversation there. Thank you very much for your time and your insight this morning. Thank you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, making the case for doing business in India ahead of Prime Minister Modi's sit-down with C-suite leaders today. We are talking exclusively with the CEO of Avaya on why he's already doing business in that country. We've got much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after the break. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet, where we check on a few of the morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know and stocks that you likely own. 
We begin with Bank of America raising its price target for Broadcom, moving it from $950 to $1,050 per share. B of A citing emerging AI computer requirements, including Ethernet and Broadcom system, as a big potential winner. Looking at shares of Broadcom this morning, they are still flat despite that upgrade. So Deutsche Bank upgrading its rating on Anheuser-Busch InBev to a catalyst buy. It says the stock is currently captioned the potential downside from AB InBev's challenges in the U.S. around the Bud Light boycott, which it calls overly conservative. Shares of Bud right now up almost 1%. And AB Bernstein boosting its rating on Kellogg from underperform to market perform. It says the company currently has a cheap valuation and investors have just ignored an improving earnings outlook, taking a look at shares of Kellogg up more than half a percent. Turning now to D.C. and a who's who of corporate America lining up to meet face-to-face with Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi at our nation's capital. The guest list expected at a state dinner tonight and a tech roundtable tomorrow includes Apple CEO Tim Cook, Google CEO Sundar Pichai, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella, and many others. With China tensions still high, key for Modi will be to pitch the India dream to corporate executives and navigate possible pushback around issues like regulation and infrastructure and call it an early win for Team Modi. Just moments ago, GE Aerospace announcing it signed an agreement in principle with Hindustan and Aeronautics to produce jet engines for the Indian Air Force. Joining me now to discuss this and much more in a Worldwide Exchange exclusive is the CEO of a company already doing some big business in India. Alan Mazarak is the CEO of Avaya. Alan, good morning. Good morning, Frank. How you doing? Good. Uh, it's great to see you here. Thank you for being here. So we appreciate your insight. I want to ask you the first most important question here. You already have feet on the ground there in India. What makes it attractive for you as a U.S. company to do business and have operations there? Look, India is incredibly important to us. We've got 1,200 employees out of you know over 6,000 globally. Over 1,200 are in India. <clears throat> it's a, a center you know of excellence in multiple areas for us around R&D. Um, you know, customer support, professional services and the like. Um, you know, we're big fans of India. So as, you know, Prime Minister Modi is pushing for a digital transformation of the company, completely consistent with what Avaya is doing, you know, sort of, you know, we, we ourselves are a bit of a, you know, a successful transformation story. Um, so we are, you know, we fully support all the digital transformation initiatives that are going on in India. I do want to bounce one thing off you. CNBC hearing from some corporate leaders that there's uh, some difficulties doing business in India, despite Modi's push, um, issues with regulation and also dealing with the governments there. You've got to be clear. It's not just the federal government. There's different you know, basically state level governments there. What's been your experience so far? What's the biggest challenge? Well, I think there is in any developing market, there's always challenges. But, you know, we've got centers of excellence throughout the country. I mean, in particular in Pune, in Hyderabad, um, in Bangalore, and Gurgaon. Uh, again, I said over 1,200 employees. As the government is pushing the digital transformation, <clears throat> it really is sort of, you know, Prime Minister Modi's initiative around, around creating self-reliance in the country. So there are projects throughout that are um, in effect, a government-supported effort to deal with structural challenges of a developing country. So, for instance, there are smart city initiatives in a hundred different cities uh, throughout 
uh, the country. We're actually driving, Avaya is driving 20 of them. So, for instance, uh, the Bangalore Safe City Project or something similar in okay. Faridabad. Well, can I interrupt um, you for one second, Alan? When you, when you say yeah. Avaya is driving it, how does that work for your business? I know you're a tech-focused business. You're in cloud computing and some other things. But how does that work on a practical level? Not the tech, but actually working with the government. Well, so the government has an. So what we provide is enterprise communications that drive, you know, business customers' ability to uh, drive customer experience. So we're the underlying technology for companies driving customer experience. Within that, think about nine one one services. Um, think about support, which we do and provide. Um, think about the social security system, the Aadhaar social security system, the underlying technology as Indian citizens are calling in or, you know, digitally or by voice into their equivalent to the social security system, we drive. Um, we drive the um, underlying enterprise communications for the largest uh, public health care agencies. So, you, you know, in order for India, I mean, India, if, as we're a very, very global company. In order to be a successful global company, you have to play in a place like India, which is the world's largest population, has, from a talent perspective, the youngest population in terms of access to talent. If you want to be a global, a successful global company, and you know we are that, uh, you have to play. Otherwise, you're right. going to be left behind. And so, so speaking of playing, and quite, you, quite frankly, you do this by desire. It's an enormous market. Okay, speaking of playing, do you bring your U.S. executives over or do you find executives there in India? How do you bridge the gap? Because it is a different culture and it's simply just a different country. So we're developing local leadership there. There's, um, we've not done any sort of expat-related uh, management structure. So, you know, this is a genuine investment in the country that extends beyond just developing local leadership creating centers of excellence in multiple cities, but it's also, for instance, investing in the community. So, for instance, we've invested with disadvantaged youth and training them. We've actually trained 700 of them, 400 of which now have successfully gotten corporate jobs. So the whole thing is you're building, you're taking this raw talent, biggest population in the world, great technical skills, a young population, it's it's already a top ten market for Avaya globally. Okay. So last so question, it's you're talking about talent. Self-interest to support Prime Minister Modi's initiatives right. about you're, you're talking about talent and how young the workforce are, there is. So let's go bottom line. You're also in China. How does the workforce in India compare to China um, when it comes to a skill level? The skill levels in in both are very good, and they're both developing obviously huge middle classes. You know, you have politically the environment obviously is more favorable um, in India, and it's easier to do business there. Uh, but clearly, we invest in both areas extensively. You know, I was just at our global conference this week in Orlando, and we have, um, you know, we're in multiple cities in China. My uh, my whole APJ region. Uh, leadership was here. A variety of companies that are super important to us that we serve in China are there as well. I mean, we have 90,000 customers across 172 countries. Uh, Both China and India are exceptionally important to us. All right. Alan Mazarek, CEO of Avaya. Thank you so much for your time and for your insight. Really interesting conversation. Thank you.
Thanks, Frank. I appreciate it. All right. Have a great day. Ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus pulling back the curtain on the stock's continued slide, where our next guest says she's seeing rapidly shifting sentiment within the markets. But first, June is Pride Month, and CNBC is celebrating all month long and sharing stories of corporate leaders with you. As we had to break, here is Airbnb Global Head of Operations, Tara Bunch. The next generation of LGBTQ plus talent is looking to us to provide leadership. When I had my very first child, I remember realizing how important it was for me to be a role model for her. I never wanted my daughter to ever see me not show up as proud and confident because I felt like if I show up that way for her, she will ultimately feel that way about herself. And so being that role model to your children, to your employees, to your colleagues, and showing up for them each and every day, I think is essential as a leader. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for what we like to call your WEX wrap-up, six stories you need to know before the opening bell. We begin with some hawkish central bank moves all around the world today. The Swiss National Bank raising rates by 25 basis points, a smaller increase than expected. Norway also raising rates, this time by 50 basis points, and saying that an August hike is likely, and we're awaiting the Bank of England, due in just about an hour from now, expected to hike its key rate by 25 basis points. Back here in the U.S., Microsoft set to meet the FTC in court today after the agency blocked the tech giant from closing its $69 billion acquisition of Activision Blizzard. And we're looking at Boeing supplier Spiro Aerosystems saying it will suspend factory production at its Kansas plant today after union workers rejected a proposed four-year deal and announced a strike beginning this weekend, looking at shares of Spiro Aerosystems down almost 9%. Another long-standing NVIDIA board member has cashed out of some of his holdings following the stock's massive rally. Mark Stevens unloaded nearly 120,000 shares in the last seven days, according to new disclosures. That adds up to over $51 million. And shares of Tesla are lower in the pre-market after seeing its worst single session since April yesterday. This following a downgrade by Barclays that noted challenging near-term trends are ahead. And Elon Musk suggesting... Las Vegas is the location of a proposed cage match between himself and Mark Zuckerberg. Musk picking the city in response to a post by Zuckerberg, who initially shot back to the Tesla boss after he confirmed that he was up for a fight. If you look on social media, you know Zuckerberg's doing some MMA training. All right, gearing up for the training day ahead. Two key pieces of economic data to watch with initial jobless claims out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern and existing home sales figures out at 10 a.m. And then on the earnings front, We get results from Accenture and Darden Restaurants, and Gen Restaurant Group is set to begin trading today. Central banks will be once again in focus today. At 7 a.m. Eastern, we get the latest rate decision from the Bank of England. And then at 10 a.m., Fed Chairman Jerome Powell back on Capitol Hill, testifying this time before the Senate Banking Committee. All right, Chairman Powell's comments set to be a key driver for the markets today. Meanwhile, short sellers, they are ramping up their bets against U.S. stocks, even as their losses continue to pile up. This is according to data from S3 Partners. S3 says that total U.S. short interest has surpassed $1 trillion this month, the highest level since April of last year. For more on this and the trading day ahead, let's bring in Amy Will Silverman, head of derivative strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Amy, always great to see you. Good morning. All right, so we just kind of broke it down, the short selling piling up 
What are you seeing when it comes to the options market? You know, it's really interesting because I feel like since the Fed meeting, there's been this hawkish tilt to the market. Yet when you look at options positioning, Frank, it still remains, especially in these AI narrative names, quite bullish. And we see that when we kind of look at the demand and call options compared to demand and put options. You know, as you and I have spoken, a a normal market is one where folks are long stocks and they're hedging. But what we're really seeing is more demand for the upside than the demand for the downside in a lot of these tech stocks. You know, that's a really interesting trend. And I think the upside bets are also more expensive, which is also out of the ordinary. So with all that in mind, all this option activity in mind, what is your WEX word of the day? So right now, my Wex word of the day is abnormal. And I say it's abnormal because, you know, look, this isn't what we historically see in options. It's also something that's quite reminiscent of the meme craze. So what you saw in May of 2020, what you saw in January of 2021, and if you remember those periods, Frank, you ended up in this cycle of exuberance, which just exhibited positive momentum for quite a period of time. And we continue to see that in a lot of names, even NVIDIA, even as it sold off a little, even in Tesla, AMD, uh, Intel, even if it would sell off. And so I think that it's kind of counter to what you're seeing in stocks, but the options positioning remains one where people are buying calls. So, Amy, I want to bounce something off you looking at the broader markets. Uh, Obviously, everyone's going to be watching Fed Chairman Jay Powell's second day of testimony today. Here are his comments yesterday on the Fed's rate hike strategy. The level to which we raise rates is actually a separate question of the speed with which we move. Earlier in the process, speed was very important. It's not very important now. We were at 75 basis points for several meetings, then we were at 50 basis points, then 50 basis points, 25 basis points at, at three consecutive meetings, and now we're monitoring that, pe- that pace. So, Amy, what's your take on what the chairman had to say here about rates? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I think but, you know, the Fed has been fighting a narrative in the market as well as sticky inflation overall. And, you know, I, I've been speaking with clients a lot this past week. And one fear is just, look, what if this is just a long grinding process? It's one that, you know, it, we think terminal is in the fives, but really it's in the sixes. And if that reprices everything, okay. the overall volatility is maybe perhaps too low because this is just going to be a slog that's tenor is so much longer than duration we have pressed into the market. All right. Follow those comments from Jay Powell. Three day slide for the markets. Give us a sense of what sectors would you possibly just avoid today due to what could be some volatility on the heels of those comments? You know, if, if you look this past year, it's been a flight to safety to mega cap tech. And then essentially value or small cap has the one that's been most sensitive to the economic recovery. You know, I think this is a story where folks really want to see the overall breadth of the market expand. But then when you get this hawkish tilt, you look and what's hit the most, you know, it's your IWMs, it's your small caps, it's your values. So I think today and tomorrow, you know, that's what you watch out for compared to mega cap tech. All right, Amy Wu Silverman, great to see you as always. Thank you. And that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We got Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's.